Um, Roman just pointed out a really uh, very fun thing, which is that right now at the time of recording, uh, it is Tuesday morning. And for anyone interested, Roman and I work together at the Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington. And every Tuesday is the day that we get new comic books coming in from UPS. And I have to go out and pick them up. And we get to the comic shop right at about 10 o'clock to be sorting our books. So Roman pointed out that it's for the first time in like two months, we're getting to record uh, or we're getting to hang out on a Tuesday morning. And I love it. Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode number seven, the one where we talk about Batman 665, the Daily Grant Morrison Batman podcast, where we just sort of relax and put our hair down and have a fun time talking about Batman. Um, We've been doing all of these over Zoom, and I hope that uh, I hope that the audio quality is working. It's not it's not the quite quite the standard of our normal perfectly acceptable podcast, but uh, you know. In times of quarantine, we rise to the challenge the best that we can. Roman Statler, my favorite uh, over 36-year-old, is here visiting with me. Roman, hello. Hello, Jeff, and hello, all of you lovely listeners. This is a great morning. I woke up like at 6 a.m., couldn't get back to sleep, so I went back to sleep eventually. So I just got out of bed like, I don't know, 20 minutes ago. Oh, oh yeah. Stopped. We both got our tea. Yep, yes. got some tea here. Good I also got drinking. to. Oh, I'm drinking just just some black peach tea right here. You know, I already had a coffee this morning because um, I oh. I recorded one of these with Justin quite early, oh, and right, right. um and yeah, so you know, I had the coffee up. I can't double cup that much caffeine. <laughs> I think mine is caffeine. It is. I got a caffeine-free tea. I believe that. Roman, you never uh, openly identify as straight edge, but you're as close to it as someone uh, really gets. Uh, and, I, and I love it. I love you for it. Um, hey, Roman, Batman 665, Grant Morrison, Andy Kubert, the ghosts of Batman. How are you feeling? This, uh, uh, <clears throat> it's an interesting title, the ghost of Batman. Cause I was like, what, what ghost are we talking about here? What the... I'm not. I'm still not quite sure. I, I know what the ghosts are. Well, um, yeah. So this is the second issue in this little arc that that deals with this sort of theme of the ghosts of Batman. Um, Justin and I got to talk a little bit about that name earlier today. Um, but what I'll let's let's get a real quick uh, a quick survey of what happens in this issue, and then let's sort of unpack what the ghosts of Batman is. Okay. Um, right. This issue starts with Batman in the alley after getting his his bat butt royally handed to him by this crazy big Bane Batman character. Uh, testosterone. We t- covered it yesterday's episode. Um, bad cops, dead prostitutes, and lots of smelly testosterone in the, in this arc. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, ultimately Batman goes back. Back home, he gets healed up, goes, fights testosterone Batman again, um, seems to save the day, 
and uh, we get to see a little bit of Damien and Talia Al Ghul over at her headquarters near the end. That's the the, the broad strokes of what happened here. But let's broad. get into the the ghosts, Roman. Yeah. Now, now we've got the broad bat strokes out of the way. Oh. Um, in this arc, Batman talks about how he once had a vision where he saw um, a sort of a premonition of three ghosts of Batman. Um, and my question seems to be, is that a, a story element that Morrison introduced? Or is it like many other things in this run that actually is hearkening back to a Silver Age time where he saw a big muscular Batman and a Batman with a gun as well? You know, that's an excellent question. And I didn't think to, that question didn't occur to me. So I didn't Google it. So I don't know. I, um, I did Google it and couldn't track it down. Okay. Okay. It's nothing, it's nothing I recognize. And when I first saw that panel of the vision, actually, I, I, th- I thought that, oh, three goes about it. Is this like a Charles Dickens <laughs> a christmas story thing. that's almost exactly what i thought when i knew like upon rereading this as an adult yeah um yeah so it's it is it's a weird thing that we don't really have an answer to my suspicion is that it is a new morrison thing to the mythos yeah and the and two of the goals i mean the one is in this issue or the previous issue the, the like bane like batman and then the other one is the cop who was posing as Batman, I assume, the one with the gun. And then we don't know about this this third really mysterious in the shadows Batman pointy figure. Yeah, exactly. Six fifty five. The first issue on this run had um, had the, the Batman with a gun. So it, it does seem like they are police officers who have turned bad because in the previous issue and in this one, in um, Bruce Batman's talking to the police officers they're definitely covering up for something. In the previous issue, we, Batman stumbles upon this whole mystery because he overhears a cop talking, talking to a pimp um, and the prostitutes of which he employs um, are saying that they don't want to go back to those police officers anymore because women never come back. They get murdered um, from being used by that disgusting, stinky, smelly testosterone Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, which I, I hadn't clued in that he was a, he's a cop or was a cop at one point until I think maybe this issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a little bit of like, I brought it up yesterday, but Morrison's um, telling and not showing. Like there are times where you really have to read a page like two times to understand exactly what the implications of it are and where it came from. I really liked this on its page four and five is a double page spread of after Batman gets dropped off in the alleyway by one of the prostitutes. Um, and he's just like wrecked. Like it just seems like he physically shouldn't be able to do anything. Um, and it's the shot of him kind of like punching numbers into a keypad with a bunch of smaller panels that start in the top left and sort of cascade to the right. But the background of that big double page spread is just like a rooftop shot of Gotham And I was like halfway through that double page spread and I was just sort of staring at it. And I was like, well, this is really pretty, but why use this camera angle of Gotham behind it? And then once I actually followed the flow of the page, the panels take you down to the, on the right side of the page, we're actually looking into the penthouse uh, that Bruce has downtown and like has his cape thrown over a, a chair and it doesn't even show him, but it's just a really nice shot of like, Gotham contextually 
and and then you know, like the flow of the panels works in a really really nice way to sort of guide the reader into understanding why they're looking at that specific shot. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, this is a beautiful two-page spread, and just where you end up, like in this basement, we assume a parking garage, and up here in the penthouse overlooking, because it's so high up, it's overlooking like there's blimps and and down on it's looking down on Gotham. We we've got to talk about what is Gotham's relationship with blimps. Why is it like they're just still throwing blimps into all Batman comics? Like what is Gotham? They're like, we've seen the airplane. We know that you can like, you know, there's prop planes. We got bat jets. And yet there's still consistently (laughs) blimps in all sorts of Gotham shots. Yeah. And it's not just the comics, the, the animated series. I don't know if any of the movies had blimps in them, but yeah, it's just, I guess, because blimps are, are such a, 19th century like kind of i don't know gothic's not the right word but, but it it feels gothic or something art yeah. deco metropolis yeah. you're actually wearing yeah. a metropolis shirt right now that yeah. always feels like a I visual am. cue to gotham <laughs> i am um yeah it just ties into all that so it's the only city in america where there's still all these um i always mispronounce it dirge dirgibles dirgibles yeah yeah dirgibles this was funny too it cracked me up that when you get to this penthouse shot it's this big beautiful like this top floor of this penthouse it's it's uh just this big glass walls pure glass and yet there's still a couple buildings taller than it so it's like okay i guess we assume this is uh, like one-way glass. Otherwise, like everybody <laughs> in these buildings is going, "Hey, look! Look at that bat costume down there!" And that guy There's beating all over the place. Naked Bruce, Bruce Wayne in one of his <laughs> Batman cosplays. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, he he would have to be a little bit more secretive when he's got that much of his life on display with yeah. uh, a giant glass clear windows. Freaking idle rich. <laughs> yeah, I know one percent. <laughs> um, but as Batman, like, so Alfred shows up at the penthouse to to you know ultimately lick batman's wounds with him i want a butler who licks my wounds but uh as as batman is just sort of coming in and out of a sort of delirium that's been induced by the painkillers that he's on even uh says he needs tranquilizers at one point but yeah he he has this fantasy um that is a memory that seems to be embedded in his brain somehow and it shows the batman with the gun the muscular batman and then a batman in the shadows and his brain is trying to connect all of that with Damian Wayne, who's the one that's sort of talking to him in this fantasy. And at first, and I, at first I thought this was a new. I love the way that uh, Watson and Kubert drew the drew Damian here, because Damian mm-hmm. also, for some reason, his hair is also forming little little bat ear points. Yeah, or which, devil horns. It, yeah, which it doesn't normally. I was also real glad, as an aside, to see the return. I don't know if this is the return in modern Batman comics of. Uh, the the Wayne Tower, the Wayne Penthouse downtown, um, which we didn't use to we haven't seen for years. But when I was a kid, that was where Batman's headquarters was. because um, oh. him and Alfred moved into the downtown building after Dick went off to college. Um, oh. so throughout the seventies and eighties, he was headquartered downtown <laughs> in this cool Wayne Tower that had this giant tree growing up the center of the tower and his penthouse was up top and it had its own little like urban bat cave underneath the building. Man. I, I do know that in um, Batman and Robin with, with like the quietly art, I know that that is where Dick stays. Cause I can think of one gorgeous, like um, 
cutout shot, you know, of uh, what are those called? Like Kirby would always do them when you can see inside a building. Oh, right. The, um, yeah, cut, cutaways. Or... Cutaways. Yeah, yeah. Just, I, I love those sorts of shots. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, oh, I just love how this one panel when um, Jason, I mean, geez, Jason, uh, <laughs> Tim and um, Alfred are talking to Bruce and Daddy's. He sits up a person. He's so worried about his back, and then he has just in the midst of the conversation, the the look of terror on Bruce's face all of a sudden. Yeah, that describing the technical, the technical, the back brace and and the shock absorbers in the costume that saved him from having his back broken again. I it's one of those. That's a shot you don't ever really see of Bruce's face. You know, like that's he looks like a horror struck character that would have been like a, a background character of like a, you know, a DC horror comic or something. It, it's an interesting drawing. Yeah. Um, I pointed this out in the previous episode, but I think it's really interesting in this, uh, the first arc, Andy Kubert uh, inked himself and had a different colorist. Uh, Dave Stewart did colors originally. And here we actually have somebody else inking um, Andy Kubert and there's a different colorist on it. And I'm on record as actually kind of preferring this style a little bit um, to the early stuff. Mm, okay cool i hadn't i hadn't realized yeah it's it's got sort of a glossier look to it what i think is yeah. uh kind of hilarious now and it seems when roman you mentioned that you've got more to say about this issue um i thought well that's about right because the way that batman develops uh, a strategy to beat this giant roided out um batman who he's saying is on both hugo strange's monster serum and also bane's venom serum um, but the the way that he is able to create a theory about how to beat him is to <laughs> to douse himself in a larger alpha male hormone than the one that that Bane Batman has because he's doused in testosterone. So he rubs his business clothes from earlier in the day when he was in a business meeting yelling at the shareholders of uh, Wayne Enterprises. He rubs that alpha male stink all over himself to go combat this guy. And I'm like, that is such a dumb. <laughs> awesome grant morrison thing yeah it really is we've never seen that be batman do that kind of thing before it's like yeah it's so dumb and and like primal and and it's like, why would this even work but you know bruce is upon a bunch of morphine he thinks it's right. gonna work so what the hell <laughs> it's the kind of like I, I i consider morrison that to be such a staple of his to do something in modern times that would have been done in the 70s and people wouldn't have thought twice about but now it's like that's kind of a ridiculous idea but he's like yeah but it's comic books and we've been doing it this way forever so come with me come with me yeah yeah and ties in the whole big meta overarching thing with morrison about about every everything that's happened in batman it's all happened yeah it's all <laughs> happening it's like almost famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we, uh, what, what I thought was cool about this issue, Roman, is that we do get like a pretty Tim forward sequence. Like Tim is like, I got to go take this guy out. He's harassing my pops figure. Um, and, and Batman is still, you know, hospitalized in the, the penthouse at this point. Yeah. I, I think that it's interesting to really explore that space of Tim's identity and ego related to the fact that Damien has shown up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause since Damien's shown up, of course, Tim is, there's a, there's a little bit of, he's, uh, ter he's trying to territorialism. He's, you know, he's trying to 
remind Bruce in a way, I think that, that, Hey, I'm still the really, I'm the number one son. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that the way that, you know, you know, Batman doesn't really have to say any more than you don't have anything to prove to me. And I, I really liked that statement because it, um, yeah, when we can really highlight the humanity of Batman, I really like that. He's not just this alpha male at the prime of all superhero dumb, like heartless guy. He's he's also a person who understands uh, and and has been affected by the youth that he's had in, in his life. Like it, it has caused him to be a more sympathetic or caring person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kept him from going into the darkness. It's a nice it's a nice reminder of why character of robin the, the concept of robin was first introduced why that exists yeah why it's so important to batman yeah um gosh it's a it's a it's a fun fight sequence it is you know and i don't i don't know if it how long this robin costume stayed around that tim's wearing but i really like this costume this full red one yeah red with the the blue on the out the black or blue on the outside or gray i guess cape with the yellow on the inside of the cape it's real nice yeah that's a great question i do wonder how long this this robin costume was around it's got like kind of the big flare-up shoulder cape part yeah. um it, it's definitely his final costume as robin because well because he becomes red robin after this ultimately yeah yeah so Batman shows up with his alpha male stink all over him, just sort of prime, positive, masculine energy, man. And he's actually getting the upper hand of the Bane Batman. Uh, he seems to be, he, he's not burdened by the questions of the black case book that sort of popped up in his mind the first time that he met this Bat character in the last issue. Um, so he's not suffering the divided attention. It's allowing the other guy to get the upper hand, but it's also, he's got that testosterone room stink on him. He's got that businessman, that businessman punch. Yeah. And, and, he, and he's, his inner dialogue talking about how, it, how, uh, how much pain he's in and it's totally a, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jesse, the body moment from, uh, from, uh, predator where he says the, ta the the pain tells me I don't have time to fool around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just driving him through the fight. Yeah. And that's a thing that I, I feel like that's a situation Batman finds himself in often. Yeah, it is pretty amazing that um, at this point that Batman can still move at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he shouldn't be able to. In fact, if we were to really uh, critically go through Batman's history, maybe we would feel like he, <laughs> he sh really shouldn't be able to move. Yeah. Yeah, must have adamantium lace bones or something. Yeah, that's a whole different Marvel continuity, Roman. <laughs> um, I, please, yeah, yeah. He's rich. He can afford adamantium. That's true. He I should be able to rein, reinforce his, his skeleton a little bit. Um, I really liked, so as Batman is just beating the shit out of this giant muscular thing, keeps yelling like, who are you? Who's the third man? And, you know, he's referencing who is this third Batman that he's had this premonition about. But it also feels so, like, Batman almost unhinged. You know, like, who's the third man? And they're like, I don't... Is this a dream that you're talking about? Like, what, what are you getting on about? And then the cops show up and make him back off. Yeah, yeah, because he's still on painkillers. Um, so you don't know how, how uh, totally there he is mentally. Right. And I think... Gosh, I like that in this, the cops are 
being really shady. Like ultimately they are working against what they should be working, you know, like they're hiding the fact that there are some tainted cops out there raping and murdering people. And it harkens back to like Frank Miller's year one where the cops couldn't be trusted. They were all corrupt. There was only Gordon. And um, it, it seems like more often than not, in Batman, cops are portrayed as the good guys lately. And I think it's important to the end Gotham. They're all corrupt, you know? Yeah. 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 It does harken back to all that. And it's interesting that we don't see Gordon in this issue at all. Cause he's still commissioned. I mean, he, he's commissioner again in this series. I think it was we get four Morrison. Was- we get one page of him in here. Um, with Batman talking to him on the roof. And he basically uh, admits that like he's being walled out by the cops as well. Like the mayor, there are people who are making sure the cops are protecting these horrible, horrible criminals. I really liked that. uh, He, he has his, his Batmobile booby trapped to explode. So then the cops are like, Hey, you're, you know, you need to get out of here. Or we'll shoot you, Batman. He's like, well, you're covering for a rapist and a murderer and something more. Um, he, he says these cops are on his list. And then he explodes the Batmobile as a way of getting out of there. I love that panel, too. Not only for that action, that, but the one piece of the Batmobile that flies up in the air is it, the, yeah. the Batface hood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's a... <clears throat> A symbolic sort of ending that map batmobile and ushering in ultimately getting to the next batmobile the flying one uh one thing i mentioned yeah. is that with this art change like with the inker and c- colorist change on here there is a lot more of like a greg capullo feel justin pointed out this these two issues almost feel like grant morrison trying to do like a 90s comic because we've got like dead prostitutes and like drug abuse and venom like this giant overblown bane character and then on these shots where it looks like batman is talking to commissioner gordon near the end of the issue uh he's just like entirely in shadows like his face is just dark it reminds me of like the scott snyder greg capullo batman run or like spawn yeah yeah that that's a that's a good observation um because this does really feel like that era, even Batman's pose is these, which is such a dramatic. I mean, he's even him and Gordon are just talking, and Batman's striking this very dramatic uh, action pose. Batman, can you mellow out? Can we just talk through this thing? Like, yeah, there's some rapists and some murderers out here. Let's just do this. Yeah, I'm sure Gordon's rolling his eyes, going, "Man, I'm just gonna light my pipe. What the hell?" <laughs> yeah, I I think that the line of dialogue that's really important there is that uh, what Gordon says to Batman, "Why did you have to choose an enemy that's as old as time and bigger than all of us, Batman?" And that is laying the seeds for, in reality, who this larger villain in the whole Grand Morrison Batman run is. It is somebody who's older than time and you know bigger than all of us. Yeah. And I love Batman's response to that too. It's the same reason you need you did, Jim. I figured I could take him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. The hubris of Batman and Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final sequence in this uh issue is Talia Al Ghul, which it's good to see her because this issue um came out May eighteenth in two thousand seven. So it had been six weeks since the previous issue, but at that point it had been like seven months since we'd seen anything with Damien. And as a reader, I would probably be like, 
please follow up on these threads because that's you know one of the most interesting initial hooks in this run yeah yeah that, yeah and, it's, and you'd forgotten about him kind of by this point and what had happened to him yeah um, and you see how you see more about him that Talia's he's in a vat and being operated on and there and you see a little more hint of like wow they really are she really is just treats her son like a science experiment yeah and it and i think that that's really interesting that just like the original son of the demon arc and everything makes one think that talia would become pregnant from getting that hump on with bruce and then have an organic baby but a big part of this run is the idea that damien really is genetically modified and maybe yeah. even a clone, and we get more follow-up on the cloning aspect of it later on in the run. Yeah, yeah, that she didn't even she didn't even carry him to term. He was the fetus was removed and put in a test tube. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Another really interesting part about this sequence, I think, is that she is kind of obsessed with Bruce Wayne's relationship status. Yeah, like she um like you know in the previous issue bruce was on this big date with jezebel jet and they're getting closer and you know the the end of that first talia arc was that she wanted batman and damien and her to be a family again and have an empire so it's just it's weird to me how she's like not able to let go of him even though she has this incredibly antagonistic relationship with him that didn't seem quite as weird to me just because that's always been the relationship um, that they've had um, since I think well since she was introduced in the seventies, mm -hmm. but we hadn't seen that in a long time, and I think we I don't think we'd seen her in any major stories in a long time until this run. Yeah. So it, so it was like a new thing for a lot of people, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. It it I guess my view of Talia Al Ghul is that she should be someone who is above pettiness, you know, like if she is the son of the demon or sorry, daughter of the demon and like queen of this whole empire and everything. Like I, I like, I like that just sort of twice, twice this week, they went on a date. Leave me. I must think it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's juicy Roman. It's juicy. It is. It is. It's very juicy. <laughs> she's a, she's a very good, She's she's like a really good Bond villain, except mm -hmm. Bond villains never had like a woman be that top villain. Yeah, that's a really good point. She does feel like she has that uh, sophistication of a Bond villain or something. Yeah, yeah, and the reach and everything. Uh, the, oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you, please. Oh, I was I was just gonna say about Jezebel Jet. I mean, how how do you feel about Jezebel Jet? Well, that was uh, yeah, you know. What I, I started talking to Justin about that, I, I feel weird about Batman being in a relationship, period. And I don't trust her. Um, that's almost like two parts of the conversation, though. Justin brought up a good point, which is that like after the Togol ritual and him sort of curing himself of his demons, and he's also solved all of super crime in Gotham, it makes sense that maybe he would want to explore having a relationship because he's freed up some time. But I do not... I do not trust her. And that is for having read the book. I know not to trust her. Her name is Jezebel. And I can't remember what the historical significance of that name is, but it is like of a, isn't that there's a, some betrayal in the name. Yeah. I, I forget too. Cause it's, but yeah, it's somebody in the Bible that 
betrays somebody, does something bad, or 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 is accused of something really bad, but maybe wasn't quite as bad as she's accused of, and right. is punished for it. And then and another thing that I was reading that seemed like an interesting point is that while she is not drawn drawn like and colored specifically as a person of color, she's definitely not like strictly Caucasian, and she is a princess from a place in uh, Africa. And she has red hair. So, like, it's starting with that clown at midnight issue. I'm not sure if you read that one, but um, they really start ironing out this red and black duality that is present throughout the entire run. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, the combination of black and red is, is, is like, what the Joker's all about in this. And it, um, red and black as a duality is a strong metaphor in this whole run. And he kind of spells that out in that all-text issue. Oh, wow, okay. Well, that's interesting, and that, that's Robin's costume that I love so much. Is oh, yeah, you're black. right. <laughs> yeah, and, and that could just be people finding evidence where it doesn't exist. But, yeah, I, I am leery of here. Can you t- unpack your feelings about it, you know, in the Roman tome? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm leery of her, too. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, she definitely fits the mold of, like, some of the important Bruce Wayne actual girlfriends but at least so far i mean she i don't feel like she has a lot of personality i mean i i love like uh silver saint cloud from the mm-hmm. 70s from the Inglehart marshall rogers run um who returned in the kevin smith run um and met a bad end but that was always like one of my favorite batman batman uh, partners female partners and Jez- and Jezebel so far at least I'm just like yeah she's I don't know why are you why are you so interested in her <laughs> I agree you, and I, I don't feel the chemistry yeah I and I I definitely don't either and then I I wonder if it's just sort of speaking to his fallibility as a man like she's beautiful she's got that awesome like nose piercing so I wonder you know, I guess my original read through of this whole run was that like Batman's supposed to be perfect. So why would he fall for somebody? It almost seems like a thing that I can't, you know, reconcile with my view of what Batman is or who he is. But also like he's a person and that's sort of like a a really big thing in all people is that we have a a susceptibility to beauty, men and women. So it, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm I'm conflicted about it. It seems it seems a little too easy. Like, okay, Batman's just gonna fall in love with her, I guess. Yeah, you're, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. It is seems a little too easy. I, I keep on wondering, is this are there real feelings here, or is this like you know, Batman keeping up the Bruce Wayne Playboy persona, which means occasionally you gotta have a torrid relationship with some some beautiful exotic woman. Yeah, I guess that's, and to tit for tat, that's a great way of putting it, is that I think Batman does have to meet up with women for one night stands and stuff to maintain the Bruce Wayne uh, identity. But it does make sense, I guess, that at some point, maybe one of those would turn into something more. Like, it really only takes the opportunity of spending time with somebody alone and being vulnerable, you know, a little bit to sort of start making these big connections. So I guess... I guess that could have happened, but yeah, it had, it seems like it had to have started as just like, well, it would make sense for my identity to make humps with you. So, <laughs> but 
the final page, like the final two pages of this are, you know, Bruce and Jezebel hanging out on a bridge in Venice, how they got to Venice. I don't know. When you're Batman, you just, you bat, you, you take a dirigible, you take a, a Gotham yeah. blimp over to Venice. <laughs> um, but <laughs> sorry, please. Yeah. Yeah. Let me send the dirigible for you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be there in like 20 minutes. We got to get the whole thing heliumed up. Um, but they have a very passionate makeout sesh, on the, like a full page makeout sesh. And, you know, that seems to be the moment where something larger is happening between the two of them. But we also see at the bottom of that page, somebody in black gloves is watching them with binoculars. And yep. we don't know who that is. <laughs> the, black the black gloves. gloves. Yeah. Apparently some kind of call, caller. <laughs> and I can't wait to get into that actual arc, the back, black glove arc. I think we're, you know, just a couple <laughs> issues away from it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't either. I, I love that arc. Yeah, it's, it is really uh, incredible. That's where I think this run really starts to hit its stride. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so what do you think? This is the first appearance of the Black Glove, which is the main villain in this whole Batman run. As far as I know, I think there's been implications of their existence so far, but this is the first like physical evidence we've gotten of them as far as I know. Um, yeah, what, do, you have, do you have anything left to unpack about this issue or thoughts about it, feelings? Um, I was looking at the graffiti in the beginning in the alley looking for Zura and R's now and I don't remember now if, if it's just graffiti or if there's any other clues in it. I'm looking back at it now and yeah, I don't, I don't see any. Yeah, in the, and interestingly in the issue before it um, like the final page of the issue before it is Batman with his back almost broken laying in the alley and there is graffiti that says pan fried rice. <laughs> Which I think is nothing, but I wonder if they didn't. Oh, in, oh there's pork yeah. fried rice. Oh, yeah. Sorry, pork fried rice, rather. Um, in reading reviews and responses to these issues and the early issues as this run started, uh, there, it seems like a lot of people were queuing in to the presence of the words Zuran R everywhere. So it could be that they started downplaying that a little bit in the previous issue the first giant muscular bane man bat issue um there is zuran r written around like as he's talking to the pimp or as he you know showing up to confront those cops we do see a lot of zuran r but i don't think in this issue that we're reading right now we see any of it um but yeah i wonder if that's not i think it's a good point i wonder if it's not related to them trying to like play those cards a little bit closer to the vest yeah yeah i'm also curious what the Let's see, the, the chapter six, I don't know if this is the beginning of the chapter. Was that the cover for this yeah. issue? Yeah. What do you think of that? What is that? Because it looks like Batman's like carved a bat onto his chest. What is that symbolic of? Yeah, I don't know. That cover, the, the cover to this issue has always really stood out to me because it almost looks like medieval and like chain mail and like Arthurian to me. And I don't know if that's just because this, I remember seeing this cover around some images of Azrael, but it looks kind of like that to me. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know where the, the cover of this would strictly come into play with the metaphor of it. He is carving a bat into his chest. Hmm. Punishing himself, enduring pain to be Batman. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. 
Yeah, yeah, it might just be that the enduring pain. Um, I. I I do that this sort of he goes into the black, black casebook a little bit more in this, which he brings up at the very end of the previous issue, but he really uh, exposes what it is, which is um, a file of all the cases that defied explanation or had supernatural circumstances around it. So UFOs or nightmares or, you know, crazy hallucinations, time travel. And I love the way that, uh arthur alfred um <laughs> identifies that stuff which is by by sort sort of brushing it off as like it's just exposure to too much joker toxin or scarecrow gas yeah <laughs> yeah and that was and 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 bruce is like no 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 this listen and they tells him about one of the cases involved the the three different versions of batman and the third sold a soul to the devil and destroyed gotham i was like wow but i think morrison just added that case in because like i said you couldn't you couldn't find anything do you know if the black case book is something that did exist in the past like is that a thing that's within canon i'm not i'm not sure i don't think there might have been a version of that kind of thing but it wasn't it didn't have a special name like the black case book because i want to say like in one of the old like first mini series that were like quote unquote the early years of batman um there was one called the untold legend of batman okay came out in the 80s and i i and i feel like that had a special like old book of old original cases that hadn't been hadn't been explored before okay Uh, it's such a it's it makes so much sense right that batman or bruce would journal and keep track of everything and all of his things are filed away and that he would have sort of a a book that exists for for all the things that don't fall into another um category but it also seems like maybe that's just a, a thing that morrison would make up but it's such a good idea it seems like it could have been around from 50 years ago yeah, and I like the way that they did this little sequence because as Bruce is talking about that that particular case is when he stumbles out of bed and goes to the closet. And, you know, as the reader, you think, oh, is he got like a black case book hidden here in the closet he's going to dig out and refer to? And it's like, no, and that's when he pulls out his dirty laundry and rubs <laughs> it all over himself. Yeah, man, that is like <laughs> such a nice little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh gosh well yeah um i think that kind of puts a pin in this like it as with this morrison run like we don't get huge resolutions for things but it you know we have at least taken down this giant muscular batman and we're at you know a a pausing point for that so uh next issue is 666 one of my favorites of this run just for the implications that it has um far reaching beyond the, the single issue but but yeah, it's just an interesting this little two issue chunk of the Ghost of Batman. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. It's where I think the run starts to get a bit more brutal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, it really starts. <laughs> I'm not saying going off the rails, but it really starts. Yeah, getting brutal and and hinting at the wider permutations of everything. Yeah, actually, and going off the rails. Yeah, it's. I think that this is where I think maybe editorial concern for how palatable or accessible this run is to the larger reader reader base. That's less of a concern here. Cause they're just like, all right, well, we got that first arc out. The people that are still with us are the ones that are still going to be with us. So now yeah. it's, yeah, it is. It's kind of the train is pulling out of the station. 
Um, well, Roman, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. If we don't have anything left, we'll probably, you know, I got some comic deliveries to do for the day, I think. Oh, sweet. Well, yeah. A lot of um, people appreciate that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But uh, <laughs> on the topic of appreciation, I appreciate you hanging out with me. And uh, I look forward to talking to you about subsequent issues of this run here in the coming days. Oh, yeah. Black Casebook, baby. Or no, no Black Glove. Sorry. <laughs> black Glove. There's a lot of, yeah, black tomes and things in here. Just flipping through it, I see a, a butt at the, in the second page of the next issue. That's exciting. We'll cover that butt. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Roman, thanks again. You stay safe today. Well, thank you. You too. Love you, bud. Love you. Bye.